Welcome to the Bring Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I am thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story God is redeeming in her life. I can't wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God's calling you to, and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption. My guest today is Sandy Park. Sandy first experienced the goodness of God at the tender age of 13 during a week-long camp meeting, and though the years ahead were filled with the heartache of her parents' divorce, the bondage of her childhood abuse, and the shame and pain of a pregnancy out of wedlock which ended in abortion, that first encounter left an imprint on her heart that would continue to draw her into a lifelong love affair with Jesus. Friend, if you have made choices in your past where you have questioned whether God's grace could not only cover your sin, but redeem your story, then this is the podcast for you. And Sandy, for those of my friends that don't know you, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Oh, I'd be happy to. So um, I was born in South Seoul, South Korea, immigrated to the States when I was three, um, you know, hardworking immigrant family. And um, I came to know the Lord and accept Him as my personal Savior at the age of 13. Um, life has been full of ups and downs, but um, I'm just grateful that God is still the author of my story. And um, He has uh, definitely blessed me abundantly. Um, I've been married for almost 25 years now. Um, my husband and I met actually over the phone back in 19 when Party Line became super popular. Um, so he had no idea what I looked like, but um, we became attracted to each other over the phone and dated for five years, long distance, which I don't recommend that. Um, got married and started our family. Um, shortly after we were married, we went to Russia as missionaries for seven months. I got pregnant in Russia, didn't want to have my baby in Russia. So we came back home, um, had my first born, my little girl, and three weeks after, relocated to Eugene, Oregon. So we've been here for almost 23 years. Um, we added a son and a daughter to our family, and um, now they are all young adults, and we are happily and humbly raising them, as any uh, parent of an adult child understands exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and my husband is a dentist in town, and I help with the practice, but I also work as a pastor of Renewal Ministries at First Baptist Church of Eugene. I've been a part of that department for the last five years and serving as a pastor for the last one year. And um, Eugene, Oregon, I never would have guessed that that would be my home for the last 23 years, but God has been good, and through all the good times and the hard times, um, he continues to reveal to us um, what he's doing in us and through us in this community. Absolutely. Um, friends that are listening, I don't know if you've struggled making choices in your past where you've questioned whether God's grace could cover sin. And Sandy, I know that you have an incredible journey that you want to take us on. So friends, lean in, take notes, grab your cup of coffee, because I know this is going to inspire you to see God's goodness and God's faithfulness, even through the hard stuff. Yes. I think one of the things that the enemy goes after from the time we're in our mother's womb is our identity in Christ. Um, He knows that if we know who we are in Him, then we will be able to fully thrive in our calling. So I know from the time I was a little girl, the enemy really sought to kill, steal, and devour my identity. He um, silenced it so that I wouldn't be able to use um, my life, my story, my calling, my gifts for God's purposes. And so ever since I was little, I think the biggest struggle that I I had was really believing that I was truly lovable, that I was worthy to be loved. And so I sought really hard in my earlier years to find that love, find that acceptance. And I found it in performance. I could be a good girl. I could do well in school and people would approve of me. And that's how I filled that void that I felt in my spirit of uh, feeling unlovable. 
And so I excelled in school. I like to follow the rules. Um, I like to get the affirmation from those around me, especially adults in my life, because I had very fractured relationships with my parents. By the grace of God, he introduced himself to me at the age of 13. Even though I was raised in a Christian home, he didn't become my personal savior until that point. It was very timely um, because he knew in advance what I would go through in my teen years. My parents ended up separating when I was 15, and my home environment became very chaotic and very abusive. At one point, I ended up basically walking away from the Lord because I just felt like I was too damaged. I had a lot of hate in my heart toward different people in my life who had hurt me, and I felt that um, I was too far gone, that there was no possible way that God could redeem me. And I remember having a conversation with the Lord and just saying, God, I'm just too messed up. Don't waste your time on me and move on to somebody else. But because of who God is, and he is the pursuing God. He continued to pursue my heart. And at the age of 18, I returned back to the Lord. And when I did, I was fully enthralled by him. And I had no greater joy than to just live my life completely for his service. Um, I got involved in youth ministry. I was teaching and preaching and involved in camp meetings and leading I just, whatever door the Lord opened, I just wanted to walk through it and give him the glory. And so I was thriving in that place in my relationship with the Lord. But because I knew I was forgiven for my sins of the past, I hadn't dealt with the wounds of my past. There were still areas in my life, lies that the enemy spoke over my life that held me in bondage that I didn't recognize. And because of that lack of understanding my identity in Christ, um, I got involved in a relationship with an older man. He was five years older than me. Um, and eventually we ended up being sexually intimate. I was crushed. My heart's desire was to be a bride that was pure on her wedding night. And I felt like at that point I had compromised um, uh, something that I held very deeply and closely to my heart. Um, and that's when the Holy Spirit became quenched in my spirit and the things that God was leading in me became more and more of, I, I felt like it was more of a double life that I was leading. So I was starting to walk away from those things because I didn't feel like I deserved it or I was worthy to be in those positions. But I kept the mask on because I knew how to wear masks well. Um, and so I was battling the sexual sin and, and immorality that I was engaged with, but at the same time still wanting to present myself as the person that everybody I thought, I believed, knew and loved. And um, one day I found myself pregnant and I was completely devastated. I thought at that point my life was over. They, everybody would knew the fraud that I was, uh, that I knew I was the biggest hypocrite in the world, and now people would know. And so even though up until that point, I was a very strong proponent for the sanctity of life, I taught on the sanctity of life. I encouraged kids, youth that I ministered to, to choose life. I remember one youth, um, he was, I believe, 18 at the time, and he had gotten his girlfriend back. And I was, you know, in his life supporting him and encouraging him um, to choose life for his child. And they chose life for that child. And here I was, pregnant, unmarried, and feeling completely trapped. I was paralyzed by fear, shame, though I knew what I was doing was a, a heinous sin before the Lord. I felt paralyzed to do anything else. And my boyfriend at the time, he left it all on my plate. He basically said, I will do whatever you want to do. If you want to keep the baby, we'll get married. But if you don't, I will support you in having the abortion. And so in that moment, I made the decision to hide my sin by um, having an abortion so that nobody would ever know the complete hypocrite and sob that I was. 
I remember walking into that clinic that one day and I was literally like the walking dead. The life in me was completely gone. I felt like I was making a deal with the devil, but in a way I felt like I deserved it. And so I walked into that clinic. I remember sitting there. I don't remember a whole lot from that day. They had to do an ultrasound to see the placement of the child. And normally they turn the screen away. This time, for whatever reason, they didn't. So I saw my child, saw his heart beating on the screen. And I felt everything inside of me crying out, get up and leave. Save your baby. You can do this. And I was just frozen. I couldn't move. And I remember the nurse looked at me and she asked me whether I wanted a local anesthetic or if I wanted to be put to sleep. And I just stared blankly at her and shook my head and just said, I don't know. She looked at me. She had compassion on me. She put her hand on my hand and she said, we'll put you to sleep. So I don't remember the procedure by the grace of God. I remember waking up and realizing what I had just done. And I just quickly put my clothes on, ran out of the clinic, ran right by my, uh, my boyfriend at the time and collapsed into his arms in the elevator, weeping and wailing. And once I got out of the elevator, I just threw up everywhere. I just, I was completely devastated. Not only had my child died, but a piece of me had died. But nobody knew. Nobody could know. And so I just had to continue wearing the mask and carry on. And eventually my uh, boyfriend and I got married the following year. And we never really talked about it. It was not something that he wanted to talk about. I, it was something that was always very close to me, but it wasn't something that I could articulate at the time. Uh, we just put our feet one foot in front of the other and kept on going in, with our lives. Got married, uh, went to Russia, and in Russia, I was desperate to get pregnant. My husband was like, let's wait five years. Let's enjoy our marriage time first. And, and I would not have any of it. I wanted to get pregnant. And looking back, I think that that need to be pregnant as soon as possible really came from a place of fear um, because I believe that I didn't deserve to be a mom and that if God never blessed me with a child, then that would be fair punishment for what I had done. And so there was just this fear that was consuming and I had to know whether God was going to give me children or not. When I found out I was pregnant in Russia, the joy that just overwhelmed me and knowing, oh my goodness, God is going to show his grace to me and give me a child. And six weeks, when I was about six, seven weeks pregnant, we saw a doctor in Russia and initially they thought it might be an ectopic pregnancy. And that's when the, the embryo implants outside of the uterus in the fallopian tubes. And so I remember walking away from that doctor's office. And the first thing I did was I just out to the Lord begging, begging him not to punish my child for my sin. So I continued to carry the weight of my sin, the sin of my abortion. And it impacted the way I viewed God, the way I viewed everything. In that moment, I thought God was punishing me for my abortion. And, and that's why my baby is a topic or my pregnancy is a topic. Um, by the grace of God, um, we found out that she was just fine. We, they flew us to Finland to see an OB over there. And a week later, we saw the ultrasound. We saw her heart beating in my womb. And the moment of, of joy that just completely overwhelmed my husband and I, um, knowing that whether God pushed her along or whether it was a misdiagnosis, we didn't care. We just knew that our baby was okay, and she's our miracle child to this day. Um, and so those were things that happened after the abortion where I look back now and can see how the enemy just continued 
to um, consume my mind with his lies, believing that I was not worthy to be forgiven, that this sin was not something that his blood could cover. Even though in my head, theoretically, theologically, I knew differently, but in my heart, I believed that lie. And so life went on. We had two more children, moved here to Eugene, and it was good, but it was hard. There were a lot of things that God really needed to purify and really needed to heal. And um, there was a lot from my childhood, um, my broken relationship with my mom. And God was just in his grace and in his timing, peeling back one layer after the other and revealing the the lies I was believing and healing those deep, deep wounds in, in my life. And about 10 years after um, the abortion, um, now, I had not told soul about my abortion. The only person who knew was the baby's father, which was my husband. But I had not shared it with anyone. And so for 12 years, I carried that um, silently. And I believed I would carry it to my grave. I, I said nobody could ever know about this because if they knew, they would not look at me the same way. And people would reject me. They would hate me, you know, whatnot. And so I believed that lie. But... I remember a couple of years before I actually shared um, with somebody, I was at a Women of Faith conference, and I remember a woman came to the stage. She was the MC, and she was telling her story, and as she was sharing her story, um, she shared that before Christ, she was an airline attendant, and she lived a very promiscuous lifestyle, and she had gotten pregnant and had four abortions. And she was sharing how God had redeemed her from that pit and delivered her and whatnot. And I remember sitting in that audience, just completely dumbfounded. Just, I couldn't believe somebody was talking about their abortion from the stage. This is the first time I had ever heard anyone share that. And I remember there was something in my spirit that was just so jealous. I was so jealous for her freedom. And in my mind, I remember thinking, could I be that free one day? And immediately a voice entered my mind and said, she wasn't a Christian. So her sin is forgivable. You were. So your sin is not. And I remember in that moment, my spirit just became completely deflated. And I believed that what the freedom that she had was something that was not available to me because when I had my abortion, I was a believer. I knew Jesus. I knew better. But I know that that day, that moment, God planted a seed and a couple of years down the road, God was starting to do a healing work in regards to my abortion. And part of that process was he was prompting me to confess. And I was like, no, I can't tell anybody. It was just this, like, the thought of confessing would literally make me sweat and get nauseous. Um, That's how much bondage I was in to my silence, to the, the, the shame of my past. And I remember sitting in this room and the Lord had told me who I, who I was supposed to confess to. And I was like, please choose somebody else because this person is so pro-life. She was a virgin. I can't tell her, you know, but God just would not, I mean, that sense would not leave me. A lot of trepidation. I went to her to my abortion. And before I could say anything, she shared with me, you know, that she had to confess something to me. And she shared that she had gotten pregnant before she got married, had an abortion. And I, she was crying. I'm just staring at her. And she's just like, why are you staring at me like that? And I just looked at her and they said, that's exactly what I was going to share with you. And just to see that God went before me and continued to shower me with his grace. It just, it just completely blew me away that he would love me that much and provide that way for me to enter into 
healing through confession and already, you know, chose this one person because he knew this one person would all else understand because her story would be the same as my story. So it just was one of those moments where we just hugged and cried and cried and hugged and knew and really like you're the last person I would have guessed. And we're just saying the same things to each other, but just marveling at how gracious our God is. And then we started sharing about our experiences. And I was, as I was hearing her story, because she wasn't put to sleep, she was a teacher. It dawned on me that that moment in time when I thought God would have no choice but to turn his face away from me as I was committing the most horrific sin, he was there with me. He was there with me, showing me his grace through this nurse who put me to sleep when normally they don't do that at that clinic. And in that moment, God revealed to my heart that because his son died on the cross and experienced the turning away of his father's face, that I would never have to experience that. No matter what my, my, no matter my deepest pain, no matter my deepest shame, no matter my deepest sin. And it was in that moment I finally realized that his blood was enough. Never left me. He never forsook me. He was there with me in that clinic, even as I was making that choice that broke his heart. And he was with me every single day after that. And so that happened after that first confession. And then slowly I had enough courage to confess to a couple of other people in my life. And then I thought I was done. <laughs> I thought, okay, confess your sins one to another, pray for another, pray for one another, and thereby be healed. I'm healed. And so I literally thought that I was good. Um, God had revealed these things, healed me, and um, I was moving forward with my life. And um, I found out that at First Baptist, they offered an abortion recovery Bible study, and I was thrilled. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing that a church would offer this. And I walked by because I had no <laughs> intention of taking the class. And, and God was merciful. He didn't, you know, he didn't push me right then and there. He had some more work to do in me before. And so about six, nine months later, he brought it back to my mind. And this was in a season of um, what he was pressing upon my heart was trust and obey, trust and obey. And so he started giving me um, assignments, you know, of different people to confess to. Um, and, and one of the assignments was to take the class. And I remember having this conversation in my spirit with the Lord and just saying, why do I need the class? I'm good. You know, I know you've forgiven me. I, I don't need that class. And I argued with him a little bit, but, you know, God wins. And so I ended up emailing the person who led the class. And it, it was just a random email. It wasn't a name or anything. And I emailed them saying that I was interested in taking the class. And then the person who was co-leading the class emailed me back. And she was somebody I was just starting to get to know at the church. I didn't know her very well. And the moment I saw her name on the email, I freaked out. I had a complete meltdown. And I remember calling one of my friends who knew about the abortion. And I was just on the phone telling her, oh, my goodness, she knows I had, the, had an abortion now. What's she going to think about me? And, and I just lost it. And my friend was like, it's okay. I'm sure she still thinks well of you. Don't worry. It's okay. I'm sure she's, she's in this ministry for a reason. I'm sure she'll have grace and compassion. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. She doesn't know me yet. She doesn't love me yet. <laughs> you know. And, and so in my spirit, I almost could feel or hear God chuckling saying, and you thought you didn't need the class. <laughs> oh man. And, and so I humbly <laughs> acknowledge, okay, well maybe there was still more work to be done. And so I ended up taking the class and in the course of that class, um, God revealed more areas of bondage of shame that I was obviously carrying 
And um, he had me confess to my children during that season. And um, I already knew I was supposed to tell my oldest daughter, which was super, super difficult. But I didn't know I was supposed to tell my younger two. Um, God revealed that to me a little bit later because I hadn't planned on telling them until they were much older. Um, but God knew in advance. He knew what he was preparing me for because I had confessed to my children. They all knew. And then at the end of the class, the leaders asked if I would be willing to share my testimony. And if my children had not known, if they had already not known about the abortion, I could not have said yes. But because they knew, I was in a position to be able to say yes to that request. And so I shared my testimony in front of about 50 people. And I remember walking into the church that evening and thinking, okay, I really won't know anybody. It's okay. And then I bump into from my children's school. I'm like, oh, hey, hi, nice to see you. And then my senior pastor and his wife show up. I'm like, oh, hi, yeah, nice to see you. And I was, oh, Lord Jesus, <laughs> what, did, what did I say yes to? But I went up because it was a season of trusting and obeying. I obeyed um, him in what he was calling me to do. I shared my testimony. My senior pastor literally was leaning in on his chair, just staring at me as I was sharing. And shortly after that, he approached me and he said, you have a gift. And I would love to share that gift with our entire body. Would you be willing to share your testimony in all the services on a Sunday morning? And I was... Once again, just like, okay, Lord, yes, Lord, trust and obey. And so I said yes. And when I emailed him and asked him, you know, I'm willing, just let me know when. He emailed me back. He said, how about next Sunday? And I was like, really, Lord? <laughs> like, okay. Oh, and, and so I said, okay, because that's what... He, God had prepared me in that season just to say, yes, Lord. And but I was freaking out inside. Not only was I going to be sharing in all three services to a couple thousand people, my husband and I had made an agreement that if we ever did share our story, we would have to tell our family first. And none of our family knew. And so that week... Um, we met with his parents, his brother's family. I had conversations with my brothers, and we confessed um, and shared with them about our abortion. And so that all happened during that week. And my brother-in-law and his wife, um, who don't attend church, they came to church to support me when I shared my testimony. My in-laws came to support me. And so that was just really humbling, and it was just once again, a beautiful picture of God's grace uh, working through um, what I thought was something that was so unforgivable. I shared that Sunday and for three services. And I remember after the second service, after I was finished sharing, I started walking off. And little by little, I could see out of the corner of my eye, people were standing up and giving me a standing ovation. And in that moment, because the verse that I shared from the platform as I shared my testimony was Isaiah 61. And the, the verse I concluded with was Isaiah 61, 7, which says, instead of shame and dishonor, I will give you a double portion of honor. And in that, as I was walking off that stage and seeing all the people rise and, and give me a standing ovation for something that I thought would be the end of me, would completely destroy my life. That verse came to life in that moment where I could see that God was taking the shame and dishonor of my past, and he was giving me a double portion of honor. And it just, once again, to this day, it can bring tears to my eyes thinking about what an amazing God we serve and worship, who not only takes the most painful things in our lives and forgives it and covers it with his blood and, and redeems it, but then he restores. He doesn't just redeem, but then he takes that thing and he uses it 
for his glory and his kingdom purposes. From that point, I was able to lead, I was invited to be the co-leader of the abortion recovery study. I was invited to be on staff uh, a couple years later. I was invited to speak at retreats and into schools and, and whatnot. And I remember one Sunday after I had spoken from the platform at church regarding abortion, a woman came to me and it had been about three years since I had first shared my testimony. And she came to me and she said, I need a granddaughter. And I said, okay, great. Love to see her. And she showed me this picture of a beautiful little girl. She was about two and a half years old. And I said, oh, she's just, she's precious. She's darling. You know, congratulations. And she goes, no, 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 no. I need to show you her picture because she's alive today because of you. And I was floored. I didn't know what she meant. And she's like, my son's girlfriend was pregnant and was planning to have an abortion. And she heard your story. And because of your story, she chose life. And my grandbaby is here today because you chose to share your story. And in that moment, Genesis fifty twenty came to life, where the word says, you meant harm, but God has used it for good and for the saving of lives. And God has shown me over and over and over again how he's taken the broken pieces of my past, whether it was things done to me or whether it was things I did to myself. And because of who he is, and he's so much bigger than anything that has been done or that could be done, that he's a God that redeems it and restores it for his glory. And I am living proof of that. I, he's, he's blessed me with a ministry that I thought was gone. He's blessed me with opportunities that I never thought was available to me after my sin. And now I get to serve in a ministry to offer that same hope and comfort that God gave to me, walking me through some of the most difficult seasons of my life. Uh, Sandy, what has forgiveness looked like for you as far as did you have to process through forgiving yourself? Forgiveness, I think a lot of times, especially if you're raised in the church, um, you know a lot of head knowledge about these ideas, about forgiveness, about redemption, about salvation, whatnot. And they say that the biggest gap is the 18 inches between your head and your heart. And even though I, I thought I had received God's forgiveness, I thought I had, you know, put that in my past the different fears that would you know, show up in my life um, would show me that, no, I truly didn't believe I was forgiven. The different things that the enemy would use to steal, kill, and devour um, my life calling, I could see now, looking back, that, oh, I still was living in a, in a place where I didn't believe God's blood was enough. And so, in theory, I could say I was forgiven, but when these different things would shut down my testimony or shut down my calling and I would allow that to, whether it's a fear or insecurities or whatnot, it would reveal that I still truly didn't believe that God forgave me. Because if I truly believed in my heart and received that truth, then it would empower me and compel me forward and not backward in the call that he has in my life. When do you feel like the masks, you talked about you had to wear multiple masks and you were trying to kind of live up to this performance earlier in your story. When do you feel like the masks started coming off? The masks really started coming off when I started confessing. I think one of the things that, um, you know, James 5.16 says, if you confess your sins one to another and pray for one another, you will be healed. And there's such a power in confession because until you confess, really, the enemy uses your mind as a playground, as his playground. Because the only voice you hear is his voice, his lies. And you don't have evidence 
of anything else because you haven't allowed God to speak into it through other people. I believe that there is, you know, it's important to confess to God because we're told to confess our sins and we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But it's important for us to confess to one another because God uses community to give us evidence of his truth. And if we are not confessing, we are not experiencing the new reality of what God has for us. And we're just living in the old reality of the, the torment and the stronghold that we've been living under with, with Satan's life. And so I believe that a big part of my mask coming down really started with when I started confessing and started to see God's grace at work through community. And when God started creating new evidence of his grace through people, then I could start to trust that I could be authentic. I could be real. I could put the mask down and that I could be more secure in who God called me to be. I think that's so good. I think it's really interesting too how you know when we when we sin obviously like Adam and Eve we we run and we hide. We're ashamed of our mm-hmm. nakedness. And what I loved what you said earlier was he's he held you through the whole thing. He th- held you through the abortion, he held you afterwards, and we have this misconception that he's almost like this angry father at us. And of course, he doesn't want us to make certain decisions, but at the same time, he's never going to leave us. So what would you say to the gal who's listening, who maybe she's she's doing, you know, participating in sexual sin now and feels so much shame, she doesn't know what to do, so she keeps it quiet. Or maybe she's chosen to have an abortion or she's thinking of an abortion. What would you say to her about what God would say to her right now? Oh, I would just tell her, oh, precious child, sin does not surprise God. <laughs> God already knew way back in the foundation of the world that you would sin, that you would make mistakes, that you would make bad choices. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross, because he already knew. So he is not shocked by our sin. He is not surprised by our sin. He is heartbroken because he longs for us to understand that our sin separates us from him. He longs for us to understand that our sin gives access for Satan to lie to us and keep us in bondage when he wants that intimate relationship with us. He wants us to fully embrace who we are in him. And it's our sin that keeps us from fully engaging God in that authentic way. And so I would encourage every woman, every young gal listening to this to say, God is so much bigger, so much bigger than anything you could do you could do that could ever make him love you less. And there's nothing you could do to ever make him love you more. He loves you just because he, that is who he is. And he loves you because he made you and he died for you. And his heart longs just for you to understand that truth so that you will come running to him because we cannot overcome our sin in our own efforts. I tried. And it's just a vicious cycle that, you sin, you try to fix it, you fail, you condemn yourself, and it's just this vicious cycle that keeps you away from God. When we sin, God wants nothing more than for us to run to Him because we know that in running to Him, we will finally be able to have the power and authority that He gives us to be an overcomer. And so Satan knows that, so he'll do everything he can to, to convince us that, We have to hide. We have to cover our sin. We have to try to fix it on our own and then fail and feel even worse about ourselves instead of running to Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can give us that victory. Because when we are so, when we are so convinced that nothing can separate us from his love, when we are so convinced that his blood is enough, we are so convinced that we are his beloved child that when we sin, we can run to him, and that is what is going to compel us and encourage us and give us the strength and ability to overcome that sin. Wow. Um, how would you say that your life has 
changed as the as this new, as God has revealed this new perspective to you. I mean, the masks are coming off. You're feeling this sense of freedom and freedom to share your story to where you're not feeling the sense of shame. So how has that changed your life, whether it be in parenting, your relationships, whatever that looks like? Oh, it's changed every aspect of my life. It's changed my ability um, to be the wife that he's called me to be, the mom that he's called me. I know that a lot of times, and I've had a lot of um, damage that has happened in my relationship with my kids because I parented a lot out of fear. And seeing and understanding how God sees me, being able to put the mask down, being able to take all that performance stuff off. Like, I don't have to perform for him. I just get to be me. And that's all he wants. I remember one time this visual that somebody gave me about my relationship with Jesus because it was just all like, okay, God, how can I serve you more? How can I, you know, what can I do? What next? And all these things. And, and somebody spoke this vision over me where they were just seeing me at the foot of Jesus, just having tea with him. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say to my spirit, even if you did nothing for the rest of your life, as far as ministry is concerned, serving God, whatnot, if you worshiped him, just you and him for the rest of your life, that would be enough that he wants me, not what I can do. And so it's impacted my ability to serve in ministry because my eyes aren't on me anymore. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not about me. It's really, truly about him. And if he's calling me to it, well, even when I mess up, he's going to work it out for good. And so this healing process and, and freeing process has, has shifted everything about who I am and, and how I live my life because I, I now sit in just the assurance that he loves me. He loves me no matter what. And then it gives me even greater capacity to love him back to want to give my life as a living sacrifice to him more and more. So that sin that used to hold me in bondage, it's like, why would I want to do that? You know, it, that is not worth it because I would much rather sacrifice whatever that sin thing is because Jesus is worth it. Yeah. Um, for the gal that's listening and has maybe this burning desire to start saying yes, kind of like you did where you were in the season where you felt like God had been preparing you for and you didn't know what those yeses were going to look like and it was going to take one courageous yes after another. Um, I love what you just said too. It's not about me. That really like blows the cap off everything in the fact that sometimes we have this fear about saying yes because we're thinking about what everyone else is going to think of us. And I think if we set that aside and take that expectation aside and say, okay, we're going to say yes, Lord, because you're going to equip us and it's about you and we want to give you the glory, then that yes is a completely different motive. So what would you encourage or what would you say to the gal who's struggling with saying yes, whether it's sharing her story or whatever that looks like for her? I would just encourage her to know that God is for you. And even if it's a scary yes, trusting and believing that on the other side of that yes, it's going to be something good. You know, God didn't just save us for eternity. God saved us for the here and now. He saved us so that we can also experience that abundant life. And so being able to understand that if he is calling you into something, whether sharing your story, whether a ministry, whether writing a book, whether whatever the thing might be that he is calling you to, just being able to know with confidence that he is preparing something good, even through the hardship on the other side, that is not only going to give glory back to him, but it's also going to bless you. You know, every yes that I've said, some yeses were like gut-wrenching hard. I would have much rather said no with every fiber of my being, but I knew God was calling me to say yes. But every single time I said yes, it got a little easier and easier because then I got to see evidence of God showing up. I got to see, okay, 
I'm not just out there floundering on my own, like, oh, God showed up here. Oh, God showed up here. I remember when he, he, he convicted my heart to share to my oldest daughter, and she was 15. That was one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had to have. But I knew that this is what he was calling me to do. And so my husband and I sat down with her, and we shared the sin of our sexual immorality and the abortion. And she sat there just with tears running down her face, just speechless. And afterwards, she hugged us, and she said, I forgive you, but I could tell that there was a lot of hurt there. And she confessed later that in that moment, she was angry. But every day, every day for that following week, she would hug me a little bit longer. She would tell me frequently, Mom, you're the best mom I could have ever asked for. Thank you for being my mother. I mean, just this excess of love from her towards me in that week following the confession. And it was just God showing up. And when we say yes, we get to open space in our lives for God to show up. And then we get to believe him for the next yes and the next yes. So it's, it's that cycle that we choose to create. If we say no, then we close off the ability for us to allow God to show up in those places. And maybe we don't get to experience this piece of our promise, uh, this piece of the promised land that he has for us. But if we say yes, we get to expand, expand the horizon because we get to make room for God to show up. So beautiful. I love it, girl. Um, Sandy, if you could sit down with your 22-year-old self, what would you say to her today? A whole lot. Because <laughs> I can be wordy. You can ask any one of my kids. <laughs> um, if I could sit down with my 22-year-old self, I probably would say the first thing I would say to her is that God knew in advance all the different things that would, that have happened and that you did. And that's why he sent his son because he loves you. And that there's nothing, nothing that can separate you from his love. The enemy wants you to believe the lie that your sin is too great, that there are consequences too great, but the truth of what God's word says and is manifested on the cross is that nothing can separate you from his love. That Jesus died for that sin too. And to my 22 year old self, I would say you are worthy. You are worthy to be loved. You are enough just the way you are. God made you this way. God crafted you in idiosyncrasies. He, your weaknesses, your strengths, it all comes together that God can use in your beautiful presence in all the different cracks <laughs> that are in there that God gets to shine his light and reveal to the world a piece of his character, a piece of who he is through you, just the way you are. And so I would encourage her to just press on, press forward one foot, one step at a time that God's love will meet you every step of the way and that you are lovable. You are worthy to be loved. You are seen, you are known, and he is a good God who is writing your story. And it's a good story. It's a good story that will not only give him glory, but it's a good story that will produce good fruit in your life. Just hold on. Hmm. Sandy, what's something that you would say that you are passionate about these days? Um, because of my past and because of my life experiences, I am very passionate about uh, reaching those who are on the outskirts, who are marginalized, ostracized, um, people, who, the weight of their sin or shame, whether it's things done to them or things that they chose to do themselves. Um, I'm in this ministry at First Baptist. I oversee the Renewal Ministries Department, and we oversee 18 different groups and classes um, like divorce, abortion, pornography, um, grief and loss, 
um, we have a support group for families of loved ones who are in the LGBTQ community, plus community. Um, so I'm very passionate about making church, a, making church a safe place for all people. Um, like I said, God is not shocked by our sin. We're shocked by each other's sin sometimes. Um, but he's not. He's never shocked by our sin. And he wants us to recognize that all, all are invited to come to the table. And I'm very passionate about um, creating spaces in our church so that all people can come and be welcome and, and meet Jesus, meet Jesus and grow in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Because I was the chief of all sinners and he redeemed my life and continues to redeem it. And if he can do that for me, he can do that for anyone. And I, my heart's desire is that we would be the Isaiah 61 church offering that to all people so that they might then truly be able to be with a display of his splendor so the world can know whom God has sent. Yes, and amen. I love it. So (laughs) awesome, girl. Um, I know, Sandy, after hearing your story, there's going to be listeners that are going to want to connect with you. So how can they do that? So um, they can connect with me directly um, through my uh, email through the church, Sandy P at FBCUG. I'm sorry, Sandy P at FBCUGene.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Sandy Kim Park. I also have a Twitter and Instagram account, and that one, my uh, Instagram name is Isaiah sixty one seven. Um, and then, um, yeah, I am more than happy to invite anybody to reach out. Um, I love. Seeing God use my story and use my testimony to encourage other people and offer hope to them. So, awesome. Well, thank you, Sandy, for giving me your time today and being so transparent and just willing to speak into our listeners' lives. I know that you made just a huge impact today. So, thank you so much, girl. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having this podcast to encourage women all around the world. Girls, I don't know about you, but I appreciated Sandy's transparency with her story. And I loved her reminder to all of us that nothing, literally nothing, can separate you or me from His love. That you are enough and you are worthy of His love. Hey friend, if you are enjoying this podcast, then the best way to let us know that is by taking a moment to give us a review. It allows us to keep bringing you more content each week. Also, if you love this week's podcast, take a screenshot of it and post it on Instagram and tag us, bringing her hope. We always love to know who's listening. I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, lovelies, keep living brave stories for Jesus.